Chapter One of the Boy's Life of Mark Twain. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, visit LibriVox.org. The Boy's Life of Mark Twain by Albert Bigelow Payne. Chapter One The Family of John Clemens. A long time ago, back in the early years of another century, a family named Clemens moved from eastern Tennessee to eastern Missouri, from a small unheard-of place called Pall Mall on Wolf River, to an equally small and unknown place called Florida, on a tiny river named the Salt. That was a far journey in those days, for railway trains in 1835 had not reached the south and west, and John Clemens and his family traveled in an old two-horse barouche, with two extra riding-horses, on one of which rode the eldest child, Orion Clemens, a boy of ten, and on the other, Jenny, a slave-girl. In the carriage with the parents were three other children, Pamela and Margaret, aged eight and five, and little Benjamin, three years old. The time was spring, the period of the Old South, and, while these youngsters did not realize that they were passing through a sort of golden age, they must have enjoyed the weeks of leisurely journeying toward what was then the far west, the promised land. The Clemens' fortunes had been poor in Tennessee. John Marshall Clemens, the father, was a lawyer, a man of education. But he was a dreamer, too, full of schemes that usually failed. Born in Virginia, he had grown up in Kentucky, and married there Jane Lampton of Columbia, a descendant of the English Lamptons, and the belle of her region. They had left Kentucky for Tennessee, drifting from one small town to another that was always smaller, and with dwindling law practice John Clemens in time had been obliged to open a poor little store, which in the end had failed to pay. Jenny was the last of several slaves he had inherited from his Virginia ancestors. Besides Jenny, his fortune now consisted of the horses and barouche, a very limited supply of money, and a large, unsaleable tract of East Tennessee land, which John Clemens dreamed would one day bring his children fortune. Readers of the Gilded Age will remember the journey of the Hawkins family from the Knobs of Tennessee to Missouri, and the important part in that story played by the Tennessee land. Mark Twain wrote of those chapters— and while they are not history but fiction, they are based upon fact, and the picture they present of family hardship and struggle is not overdrawn. The character of Colonel Sellers, who gave the Hawkinses a grand welcome to the new home, was also real. In life he was James Lampton, cousin to Mrs. Clemens, a gentle and radiant merchant of dreams, who believed himself heir to an English earldom, and was always on the verge of colossal fortune. With others of the Lampton kin, he was already settled in Missouri, and had written back glowing accounts, though perhaps not more glowing than those which had come from another relative, John Quarles, brother-in-law to Mrs. Clemens, a jovial, whole-hearted optimist, well-loved by all who knew him. It was a June evening when the Clemens family, with the barouche and two outriders, finally arrived in Florida, and the place, no doubt, seemed attractive enough then however it may have appeared later. It was the end of a long journey. Relatives gathered with fond welcome. Prospects seemed bright. Already John Quarles had opened a general store in the little town. Florida, he said, was certain to become a city. Salt River would be made navigable with a series of locks and dams. 
he offered John Clemens a partnership in his business. Quarles, for that time and place, was a rich man. Besides his store he had a farm and thirty slaves. His brother-in-law's funds, or lack of them, did not matter. The two had married sisters. That was capital enough for his hardy nature. So, almost on the moment of arrival in the new land, John Clemens once more found himself established in trade. The next thing was to find a home. There were twenty-one houses in Florida, and none of them large. The one selected by John and Jane Clemens had two main rooms and a lean-to kitchen, a small place and lowly, the kind of a place that so often had seen the beginning of exalted lives. Christianity began with a babe in a manger. Shakespeare first saw the light in a cottage at Stratford. Lincoln entered the world by way of a leaky cabin in Kentucky, and into the narrow limits of the Clemens home in Florida, on a bleak autumn day, November 30, 1835, there was born one who, under the name of Mark Twain, would live to cheer and comfort a tired world. The name Mark Twain had not been thought of then, and probably no one prophesied favorably for the newcomer who was small and feeble and not overwelcome in that crowded household. They named him Samuel, after his paternal grandfather, and added Langhorn for an old friend, a goodly burden for so frail a wayfarer. But more appropriately they called him Little Sam, or Sammy, which clung to him through the years of his delicate childhood. It seems a curious childhood, as we think of it now. Missouri was a slave state. Little Sam's companions were as often black as white. All the children of that time and locality had negroes for playmates, and were cared for by them. They were fond of their black companions, and would have felt lost without them. The negro children knew all the best ways of doing things, how to work charms and spells, the best way to cure warts and heal stone bruises, and to make it rain, and to find lost money. They knew what signs meant, and dreams, and how to keep off hoodoo, and all negroes, old and young, knew any number of weird tales. John Clemens must have prospered during the early years of his Florida residence, for he added another slave to his household, Uncle Ned, a man of all work, and he built a somewhat larger house, in one room of which the kitchen was a big fireplace. There was a wide hearth and always plenty of wood, and here, after supper, the children would gather with Jenny and Uncle Ned, and the latter would tell hair-lifting tales of hants and lonely roads, and witch-work that would make his hearers shiver with terror and delight, and look furtively over their shoulders toward the dark window-panes and the hovering shadows on the walls. Perhaps it was not the healthiest entertainment, but it was the kind to cultivate an imagination that would one day produce Tom Sawyer and Huck Finn. True, little Sam was very young at this period, but even a little chap of two or three would understand most of that fireside talk, and get impressions more vivid than if the understanding were complete. He was barely four when this earliest chapter of his life came to a close. John Clemens had not remained satisfied with Florida and his undertakings there. The town had not kept its promises. It failed to grow, and the lock and dam scheme that would make Salt River navigable fell through. Then one of the children, Margaret, a black-eyed, rosy little girl of nine, suddenly died. This was in August, 1839. A month or two later the saddened family abandoned their Florida home and moved in wagons with their household furnishings to Hannibal, 
a Mississippi River town thirty miles away. There was only one girl left now, Pamela, twelve years old, but there was another boy, baby Henry, three years younger than little Sam, four boys in all. End of chapter 1